This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. As always, before we get into it, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. I feel like I haven't talked to you in a couple of days, so I was really excited to come in, be able to record the episode. It's great to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been a busy week for me this week, but I'm doing really good. Um, Had a good weekend in Baton Rouge with my sister, and um, yeah, just... Work's been kicking my butt. How are you? How are you feeling? I, you were sick last week. Yeah, I originally was only supposed to be off uh, Monday and Tuesday. Monday was a holiday, and then I had scheduled Tuesday off, and I ended up getting sick. I caught something. I've been under the weather, so I have been off of work now for like six days. I'm going back Friday, so I'm starting to feel a little bit better. If I'm a little stuffy, I definitely apologize to anybody who's listening, but the good news is I've been rocking it out with a podcast. I'm researching. I'm getting a bunch of stuff done. So even though I wasn't feeling good, I still wanted to make sure I was putting in the work and just kind of taking advantage of the time where we had it. But I am glad to kind of be rebounding back now. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got all those episodes ready to go. And all your research done, you're killing it. And there's some good ones too. So if you're listening, I'm excited for the listeners to hear some of the stuff that we have coming up because I've it's like, I've got time. Let me really dig in, find some ones that are, Pretty interesting. So super excited for that. I am also excited because this week it is your week and you had sent me a message letting me know who you were doing and I was familiar with the case and I'm super excited that we're talking about it because it is off the walls insane. So I did want to ask like kind of before we jump into it overall without kind of spoiling any of the specifics or anything, what was it about this particular case that kind of brought your focus to it? Because I know what it is for me, but I was just curious. I will say what caught my attention when I was like trying to find a case 
was it was talking about a murder of a person with a developmental disability. And so I was like, oh, that is like something's not right. Like, that's wrong. Why would somebody even go after somebody, you know, who couldn't technically defend themselves? But that's what caught my attention. And then I just opened up a whole can of worms that I was not expecting. This case is bizarre, weird, and just sickening, kind of, um, all the things, but definitely kept my attention. Yeah, it sounds like you had a similar experience to me when I was researching the Vampire of Sacramento. We had a lot of feedback on that case where people were like, this is insane. And that was the same feeling for me. Or I was like, oh, this like looks really interesting. And then I was going through, I was like, I picked the wrong one. What am I doing this? (laughs) Right, right. But I'm super excited to jump into it. I think you brought a great one. What do you say? Should we just dive in? Yeah. So this week we're going to talk about a modern day Manson. I love it. I love it already. I know. I thought the title was kind of clever. Oh, 100%. On March 27th, 2011, at 2 a.m., a train conductor was moving through Finlay, Ohio, when he saw what he thought was a deer carcass lying on the tracks. He stopped the eight-car train and got out to investigate. To his surprise, it was a female human body. The conductor called 911 and reported the horrific discovery. Police immediately arrived on the scene to find the woman deceased. She was later identified as Vera Jo Regal, and she had been badly beaten and stabbed to death. Vera Jo Regal had a developmental disability with the cognitive development of about an 8-year-old. Her father, who is currently imprisoned, raped and abused her at the age of 11. He was ultimately charged and indicted on four counts of rape and was sentenced to 20 years in jail. Once her father was jailed, Vera's mother had a new boyfriend that also sexually assaulted her. When she was 19, she began dating 13-year-old Zachary Brooks. Tired of the abuse at home, Vera moved into the home of Sherry Brooks, Zachary's mother. When Vera first moved in, Sherry made her feel welcomed and at home. When Vera was 22 and Zachary was finally 16, the couple was pregnant with a baby girl, Willa Dean. After the birth of their child, the Brooks household was not a welcoming place anymore. Things became very dark and abusive, and Sherry claimed Willa Dean as her own. This poor girl. It's just so sad to hear that, you know, that happened to her at such a young age. I mean, 11 is such a young age. And then for her father to go to prison and then for her mother to bring in somebody else who would do the same thing to her. It's just incredibly sad. It's heartbreaking, you know, and it happens so often like this where it's just a pattern, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't know if it's the kind of person that the mom is attracted to or what exactly causes it, but you just fall into this like same pattern of abuse and then you see her start dating somebody a lot younger than her move into that house. And then that pattern continues. So it's just, this, that's one of the most heartbreaking things about this story to me. What I found odd as I was going through this is that it was just like, okay and acceptable that a 19 year old and a 13 year old were dating and moving in together. And I don't know if maybe they just thought because the woman was older that it was okay. Or that if like cognitively, she was only technically an eight year old, but at the same time, An eight-year-old and a 13-year-old don't need to be together either. So I just thought it was weird that no party in the family was like, oh, I don't think you should be dating somebody that young. Yeah, I completely agree. And I will say, you know, knowing the story, because very rarely do one of us bring a story that the other person already is familiar with, right? So I think as we go through, it kind of becomes clear as to why somebody being like, I don't think this is a good decision really comes to light when you start learning more about the people that are involved in this. But I'm right there with you. It's like you're 13, you're dating a 16 year old or you're, you know what I mean? Like you're 17 and dating a 19 year old is a lot different than, I mean, 
seven years when you're a teenager, maybe not when you're 30, 37, right? Not a huge difference, but when you're that young, that's like worlds apart. And just like you said, even if she only has the the cognitive abilities of an eight-year-old, that's eight and 13, that's still a world apart. You know what I mean? So yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about who the Brooks family was. They were a well-known family of criminals. Sherry Brooks was the mother of nine children. Five had been taken away from her because of sexual abuse and neglect. Her son, Scotty, was the product of an incestual relationship with her first cousin. She also had Michael, Joshua, Maria, and little Sherry. Maria was taken away at just one years old after learning she had been raped. Sherry's last child, baby Sherry, as they called her, was placed into foster care at birth. Sherry then married Kevin Brooks Sr. and had four more children, Kevin, Garth, Chucky, and Zachary. Now, Sherry herself was abused sexually by her father, and it began when she was a toddler, and this odd sexual relationship continued on even after she was married to Kevin. She had a perversion to baby girls that developed as an effect to her own abuse. Sherry was known around town as Sugar Babe. She was the local methamphetamine dealer in town, described as a bully, and that she was capable of manipulating people to do anything she asked of them. Some say the Brooks family were also the leaders of the local Crips gang. The abuse and manipulation of Vera started when Sherry became her legal guardian, allowing Sherry to cash Vera's disability checks each month. Over the course of the next two years, police would frequent 300 Center Street 10 times for calls of harassment, child abuse and neglect, and fighting. One time, police had to escort a social worker inside to check on baby Willa Dean. Vera was not allowed to interact with her daughter Willa Dean as Sherry had taken her away. In fact, if Vera even touched her baby, she would ultimately be beaten by Zachary or his brothers. Vera had become a slave in her home. One of her jobs was rubbing Sherry's feet. She was forced to clean and was secluded from the rest of the family. Vera suffered daily beatings from everyone in the Brooks family. When she threatened to leave, she was told that they would kill baby Willa Dean if she left. On January 21, 2011, police responded to a call stating that a woman was being abused and held against her will at 300 Center Street. When police arrived, they found Vera covered in bruises and with a broken nose. Police asked Vera several questions concerning her well-being, and she repeatedly said she was fine and that her living situation was okay. During this call, officers noticed the overall filth of the home, including a pig living inside the closet. And when I was reading about the house, John, there was a lot of stuff talking about how, like, disgusting the house was. They didn't have running water. The guys were just kind of peeing in buckets or just peeing on the floor, like just living in true filth. So I think it kind of caught the police off guard when they saw that this pig was living in this closet and that was like its pig pen. It was using the bathroom in there. It was eating in there. And this is all inside a home. Yeah. And I know people have like pet pigs, you know, which is like a normal thing. A lot of people have like teacup pigs and stuff like that, but there's not a lot of people that are like, just go ahead and go to the bathroom, you know, where I keep my shoes or anything like that. And I remember watching the sugar babe documentary and I remember there was lights in the house. So like they had electricity, but just thinking about these police coming in and knowing that there's a child there and go to the bathroom wherever you want, both as a pig and a human being. And there's this little innocent child living in a home where you already know terrible things have happened to children in the past. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the hardest things about this case for me is like, why was that kid even allowed to to stay there in the first place? You know, like CPS should have battering ram down the door and been like, no, come on, we're going to take you someplace else. You know, exactly. Exactly. So this was not a good look for the Brooks family. Worried they would get charged with abusing Vera. The family began plotting her death in a way that allowed them to keep baby Willa Dean. 
Several weeks later, around early March, Daniel Bixler, a cousin of the Brooks family, moved into the home after serving three years in jail. Now I'm going to throw a little, little wrench into this story here. So Daniel's father is Sherry's first cousin, whom she had her first child, Scotty, with. So remember I mentioned that Sherry had a son of an incestual relationship with her cousin. Well, now Daniel, who's moving into Sherry's house, is Scotty's cousin and half-brother. Okay, so I think I'm following. Sherry had a sexual relationship with her first cousin. Scotty was born, and Daniel's father is that cousin. So they're like brother slash cousin. It's more confusing than the Howard Hawks Willis episode where we talked about because he had married like his second or third cousin, but it was they were cousins by marriage. marriage but yeah. I remember even with that being like, ooh, that's a little close for my liking. And this is like really close to home. So yeah, this is real close. Too close for comfort. Yes. Daniel claimed to be a killer and proudly displayed it with a teardrop tattoo on his face. And he had only been out of jail a few weeks when he started dating Nicole Peters. Peters was always around at the Brooks house. Daniel and Nicole quickly caught on to the abuse of Vera and joined in on the action. The abuse became more aggressive and frequent. She would be beaten all throughout the day with members of the family taking their turn and ultimately crossing into sexual abuse by the brothers and Nicole. On March 26, 2011, at 2 p.m., police were dispatched to 300 Center Street again to break up a neighborhood fight, but they had no idea what was to come later. At around 8 p.m., Daniel, Nicole, and Zachary forced Vera to put on her shoes to take a walk with them. Reluctant, she had no choice or the beatings would ensue. The trio walked Vera to the railroad tracks where they began to stab her repeatedly with a kitchen knife. She was forced to take off her clothes and the stabbing continued. Once Vera lost consciousness, they moved her body onto the tracks and left her to die. In their minds, the evening train would hit Vera, leaving her body mangled and torn. Daniel, Nicole, and Zachary walked away and threw the kitchen knife in the lake next to the tracks. What the trio did not see coming was that the train conductor would stop the train and call the police. And again, this story is just so devastating. You know, I remember researching this case just because I was interested in it and learning that as they walked her to the railroad tracks, the last thing that she said was goodbye to Sugar Babe. Mm-hmm. You know, goodbye to Sherry, who's this person who is just relentlessly abusing her and threatening her child and withholding her child. And because of this person's state of mind, because of Vera's cognitive disability, she's just like, see you later. You know, it's almost like she doesn't realize how terrible she's being treated. And the other thing that I remember so vividly from learning about this case is that when they took her to the train tracks, the kitchen knife that they used to stab her repeatedly was incredibly dull. So every time they stabbed her, it would barely like penetrate the skin. And that's why they stabbed her as many times as they did. So it's just this horrific thing. And this girl probably had no idea why what was happening was happening to her. And it's just sad. You know what I mean? It's just something that feels like it just rips your heart out of your chest, you know, because it's it's just not the kind of thing that's supposed to happen, you know? Yeah, like I said, I, it caught my attention talking about a murder of a person with a developmental disability, and then it just turned into this whole disgusting family circus thing we got going on here. I don't even know what else to call it. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard one. Now, police immediately went back to 300 Center Street and began questioning the Brooks family. Sherry initially told police that Vera had left the house that night with her, quote, black boyfriend, who, of course, everybody knew didn't exist because she was with Sherry's son, Zachary. Police were already suspicious of the Brooks family because of all the prior call outs, and they began to search the house. 
They found a ton of evidence in the home, including a bloody shirt that belonged to Nicole, a belt with a padlock, and a lock of Vera's hair. A neighbor's surveillance camera showed footage of Daniel, Nicole, Zachary, and Vera walking towards the train tracks that night. Daniel and Nicole immediately confessed to the murder of Vera. The couple said that Sherry had given Vera drugs and persuaded them to kill her. Daniel told police exactly where he threw the knife used to stab Vera. With that information, divers were able to locate the knife. Police now had the pair's confessions and the murder weapon. Daniel and Nicole took plea deals, and Daniel was sentenced to 40 years to life for murder, and Nicole was sentenced to 23 years on conspiracy charges. Zachary was also arrested and sentenced to four years in prison on obstruction of justice charges. Sherry would never be arrested for her involvement in the murder of Vera. However, in 2014, she was arrested and convicted of selling prescription drugs. She was sentenced to 40 months in federal prison and has since been released. Yeah, this case makes my head spin. There's just so many things about it that don't sit well with me, you know. And if I remember correctly, I don't know if you found this in your research, but I know that you had mentioned finding like the belt with the lock on it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that before they walked her to the train tracks, like they took turns beating her with the belt with that padlock on it. Mm -hmm. And then Daniel and Nicole would take a break. They would have sex, get recharged and then come back and start the process all over again until they decided to walk her out to the railroad track. So it's just such an unbelievable amount of cruelty towards somebody, you know, and these are people who are the most delicate in our society, right? Like they're the people that we should be caring after and make sure that they're protected. You know, it's just a, a hard one all around. I, I think the best thing to do is that everyone should just go watch the documentary. Um, it's free. I watched it on YouTube. Um, and I think it will give you a good idea of kind of like the gruesomeness, the filth, the, the drugs, the, the drugs. drugs that are involved. The, yeah. I mean, the drug use that is evident that's happening in this house. So there's a whole nother like side of the story or a part of the story where Sherry and Kevin Sr. had their first son together, Kevin, who they call Punky. The rumor was is that Punky was kind of like the leader of the Crips gang. Whether or not that's true, we don't know. And that Kevin and Sherry were ultimately afraid of their son, Punky, like that he had all the power. And there's a story of Kevin supposedly walking on the side of the road with his girlfriend, Heather, at the time. And in the documentary, I'm pretty sure they say that he was going to buy heroin for his girlfriend, Heather. And a car comes and hits him and ultimately kills him. And so it's said that Sherry manipulated people into thinking that Vera was the one who killed Punky. But then there's also speculation that Sherry could have been the one that killed her son, Punky, because they were afraid of him and she wanted the power and to be the leader in this gang. And so then when Daniel gets out of prison, he's all upset that, you know, his buddy Punky is dead and who did it, who did it. And Sherry leads him to believe that Vera is responsible for the death of Punky. And that's ultimately what really persuaded Daniel and Nicole and Zachary to kill Vera. Yeah. And it's so dark and it's so convoluted. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I mean, it's just methamphetamine, I think is a big part of it as well. You know, when you think about how many people are in that house, I mean, you only get a number of people like that in a house that is as disgusting as that one is when there is lots of drugs involved. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? 
And then just to be so consumed with like, I need this power. Like I'm the big fish in Finley, Ohio, to the point that like you may have murdered your son or you may have persuaded somebody else to push your son in front of a car mm-hmm. so that you can be, you know, top meth head in middle of nowhere. Ohio is just, and then again, this innocent girl who has suffered nothing but trauma and tragedy her entire life ends up being the victim of all of it is incredibly sad. Yeah. And I mean, to also go back to like Sherry wanting to have all the power. Sherry is in a wheelchair. She is mostly wheelchair bound. You can see that she has wounds to her feet, like in the documentary, like she is not the picture of health when it comes to who Sherry is. And so, like I said, I think going back and watching the documentary will really give our listeners like an idea of what's what what this really looks like. It puts it in a whole different perspective. Yeah, and I believe the documentary is called Goodnight Sugar Babe. If it's on YouTube, that's awesome. I remember I watched it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's crazy is the only way I can yeah. think to even explain it. Like you can't put into words the type of people that are are captured in this documentary. It's I don't know. It's it's really insane. You can't make this shit up is what I like to say. I have to bleep that now. Sorry, mom. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess we should get down to it when we're talking about deadbolt test. I don't know if you want to start or if you want me to start. Go for it, John. Go for it. This is definitely going to be like a three. I am not in any way afraid of something like this happening to me. There is some elements of, again, like being a father, having this fear that like my daughter will get involved with somebody that she shouldn't because she doesn't know what her own worth is, which is definitely not the case in this story, right? That's not a parallel yeah. that I'm drawing, but that's just a fear that I have that I think that this brings out a little bit. So I'd say three. Yeah. Sherry showing up in my house in her wheelchair is not going to be making me double check my locks tonight. But the brutality of this story, the insaneness of this story, the pure cold heartedness of this story for me is a 10. I think it is a crazy, crazy crime that everybody should know about. And I'm right there with you. You should definitely watch the documentary if you haven't seen it before. You know, I don't think I could say it any better. You know, I'm going to put it right there with you about a three because I'm not worried about Sherry coming and wheeling up in a wheelchair trying to have me killed. But uh, it is just, it was disgusting. It was like sexual in a way that I didn't want to hear watching the documentary and then just kind of reading through some of it. Like I just felt dirty after like watching the documentary. And so I think that, I think that's just what I don't usually recommend the shows and stuff because, you know, I want them to listen to us, but man, watch it, just go watch it. But yeah, a 10 for the brutality, a 10 for the goriness, a three for checking my deadbolts. But yeah, this one was just like, probably kind of like you were last week where you I was like, oh, it caught my attention and it just turned into a whole nother ball game. Yeah. And I don't think we've done a lot of cases so far where there's actual documentaries. I know we've done cases where there have been like dramatizations, you know, ID shows and stuff like that. But to see the actual people involved and to hear them talk about the stuff that they talk about in such candidness is it truly is insane. And now that you mention it, I do remember when I was watching that documentary at some point, like I turned it off and had to come back to it because it was that same thing. I was like, God, I feel gross. Like I feel gross watching yeah. this. So if you can handle that feeling, it is definitely worth watching. I know some people cannot handle that feeling and that is a hundred percent reasonable, but I, I'm with you. I think, you know, anybody can 
try to convey the story, but the documentary really, I mean, it's them. puts it into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have like an, a warning, explicit warning on when I watched it on YouTube. I hope that watching it on Amazon or any other like streaming platform has that warning because there's just some things that are talked about and things that are shown that are just not. I'm giving you your explicit warning right now. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. And I will say too, like this is a legit documentary. Like mm-hmm. there's a director, there's a producer. It's not just like somebody with a YouTube channel who's telling the story. Like it's a legit documentary. And I, again, that's how I stumbled across it on Amazon. So definitely check it out if you're interested in, in learning more. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test when it comes to the murder of Vera Joe Regal. But as always, we want to know where does it land on yours? You can reach out. Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you are not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. Best place on the Internet. I say it every single week. I know uh, it was very funny to see Aaron, who listens to the podcast. She had mentioned that, you know, the holiday was just here and Monday felt like Sunday. So she was like, oh, I forgot that there was an episode out. And I, <laughs> so it was the same thing. I told her I almost forgot to take the trash out because I was like, well, today's technically Saturday and my whole schedule is all messed up. But come hang out with us in the Facebook group. Let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you. Olivia, this episode, exactly like you said, you go through this case and you just feel kind of dirty. I could use like a spiritual shower. I need an emotional cleansing, maybe something positive. How about a five-star review? You got one for us? I do. And I love how every week you give me either like a palate cleanser. This week is a spiritual shower. I need something. Some of these cases, you're just like, oh, this is hard to talk about. Could I please hear something happy? You know? Well, yes, I have a wonderful five-star review that I think you'll really appreciate. So this one is from B-C-J-E-I-S-N-F-M. I don't even know if that's a word. They just looks like a bunch of letters. And they said, I love the podcast. John's energy is amazing and keeps bringing me back for more. It's a great fit to break up the other true crime podcast I listen to. The episodes are a quick listen without most of the gory details other shows include and with the perfect amount of banter. I love having a true crime podcast that doesn't leave me wanting to wash out my ears with bleach. <laughs> so thank you, B-C-J-E-I-S-N-F-M for that five star review. I know John probably really appreciated that one. You know, all of the reviews and the voicemails are like, we love Olivia for Married at First Sight. We don't know who this John guy is. So to get just a little bit of that, I understand why you're like, I want voicemails. <laughs> so, <laughs> but and I'm not even going to attempt to recite back that username, but just know we appreciate it so much. You know, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day. You know, I know it's silly, but like to go to your phone and to go to Apple Podcasts and to like pull up the show and click on five stars and then to like take the time. Yeah, sure. It's only like five, six minutes, right? But that's five, six minutes of your life that you could be doing something else, right? And so the fact that you did that for us means the world. We love that you're listening and, you know, so happy that this is a good amount of like detail and banter. I hear that a lot, you know, where people are like, I don't want to show with just all banter, like get down to the case. And I think we really work hard to try to find that balance. So to know that it's paying off for you, it just, it means the world. So thank you. Reach out to us again. You can find us on Instagram, check the locks pod, Twitter at check the locks. Or if you're in our Facebook group, let us know there. You can post, send us a message. We would love to get you some stuff out. I actually went to the shipping place today. Sent some stuff out. Olivia, you've got keychains coming. You've got 
all sorts of stuff. I know. It's finally because you didn't want to hear me complain about where my keychains were this week. No, it's just because I finally had time off of work. <laughs> okay. I'm a married man with a full-time job. And a four-year-old. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. No. Um, but yes. So reach out to us. We would absolutely love to send you some stuff. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Hop on over to the Apple Podcast app. Click on our home show page. Scroll all the way where you see all five stars. Click all five stars and write us a little review. It doesn't have to be anything special. Just short, sweet, and to the point. Tell us how great our podcast is. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we definitely would. And again, these reviews help us so much. They help us get into other shows' recommendations. They help people find us. It helps our community and our family grow. So again, if you've taken the time to take that couple of minutes and leave us that review, thank you so much for doing that. If not, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave that review. And again, as always in the show description, there is a link that you can use as a cheat code. So check it out. We would love to hear from you. Olivia, guess what? There's a voicemail this week. We got a voicemail. Oh my gosh. Hi, guys. This is Chris from Concord, California. I first met Olivia on Married at First Sight and absolutely thought she was a gem. While perusing my Crime Line podcast, I came across yours and fell in love instantly. What I love most about yours is the fact that you have crimes that are pretty much solved and they don't leave us wondering what happened in the end. Keep up the good work. Your fan base is growing. Oh, Chris, thank you so much. That was so nice to get and happy to hear. And I, you know, I don't know if you want to add anything, Olivia, but for me, that's always something too, where it's like, I like listening to true crime podcasts where it's like, this is what happened. Not like, and the killer was never found. You know what I mean? So those are the kind of cases I love doing. So I just love that you're enjoying it, but. Anything you would like to add? I mean, I think my grin says it all. I'm smiling from ear to ear. I so much appreciate Chris leaving us a voicemail. They're my favorite. They literally are my favorite. So thank you. We love hearing from y'all. So leave me some more. Chris, we would love to send you some stuff again. Reach out to us. Instagram, check the locks pod. Twitter, check the locks. If you're in our Facebook group, let us know. And as Olivia said, we would love to hear from you. We love to hear your voices. We love to hear what you think of the show. It just makes it feel so much more personal for us. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, head over to checkthelockspod.com. There's a little voicemail icon in the bottom right-hand corner. If you click that microphone, you can leave us a voicemail right from your phone, computer, or again, all about the cheat codes. Go into the show description for the episode that you're listening to. There's a link there to leave us a voicemail as well. So reach out, let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you. And as always, if you are interested in supporting Check the Locks, we do have a Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks, sign up there, support us monthly. We do have some great tiers, stickers, t-shirts, exclusive coffee mugs, all sorts of stuff that you only get for being a patron. I sent out a message to our patron members this week, just let him know how grateful we are for him and just thank you for the support. We truly appreciate you helping us to keep the lights on. And if you cannot financially support the show, trust me, we definitely get it, right? Times are what they are. Any support helps. And just listening and hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if you're coming every Monday, Wednesday, you're hanging out with us, you're letting your friends know, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We truly, truly appreciate it. it means the world to us. 
That is all that we have for this week's episode, but please make sure you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Bye.